0: welcome to the legends of the hall podcast and uh, joining me 1988 world all-around champion 2016 pro rodeo hall of fame inductee dave appleton dave welcome thank you for your time
1: steve great to be here great to be with you
0: uh it's always a pleasure dave uh full disclosure i've always had a special feeling in my heart for appleton because (laughs) i was the mc of the hall of fame induction the year he went into the hall in 1988 uh, or 2016 um dave talk to me about that you know we 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 focus on the Hall of Fame on this show. Talk to me about what that moment was like for you.
1: Well, it's really when you stop and you think about it. It is the most special moment you can have in your career. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, I was lucky enough to win one world championship. You know, you've seen the likes of, you know, Ty Murray's and Trevor Brazils and all those guys that have won many, many uh, awards throughout their careers. But this is one that you can't go win. And what I mean by that is, is you are basically your body of work after you finish rodeoing is one that all of your peers basically say you deserve a special recognition because not everybody goes into the Hall of Fame. So it is the ultimate compliment that your body of work was such that your peers felt like you deserve the honor to be inducted into that hall. And that, to me, is the most special honor you can win in rodeo, period.
0: Dave Appleton, I'm reading from your Hall of Fame bio, Dave. A late competitor for 15 seasons in the bareback riding and the saddle bronc riding. Uh, Won the average in the bareback riding, won the average in the saddle bronc riding. Eight-time national finalist in the bareback riding, three in the saddle bronc riding. Um, In 1988, one, and this is one of the questions that I know you've been asked a million times that I warned you about. In 1988, Dave Appleton won the all-around title, beating Louis Field by $644. Uh, You (laughs) told the story of that and kind of behind the scenes, I remember, at your Hall of Fame inductions with you and Louis sitting there basically waiting to find out who won it. Um, Talk about that and,
1: and, and kind of reflect back on that. Well, it was a pretty surreal moment Uh, when you think about it, you know, basically both of us were finished. Both of us had finished competing. Now it was down to the simple math. And at the time, you know, again, it was, you know, computers were there, but they weren't that far along. And uh, both of us were sitting in there and, and I think both of us knew that going in Louis was in the Bronc riding as well as the Barback riding. I was just in the Barback riding. And, Uh, You know, it was all said and done. I knew that basically if if Louis placed third in the round in the bronc riding, he would win the all round. And then I knew that if he placed fourth in the round in the bronc riding, I'd win the all round. Well, he split third and fourth. And back in those days, there was still time for the judges to adjust their books. And also, well, none of us had factored in on the third and fourth split. So it was going to be the splitting of hairs. So they had to go back. They had to add everything up, dally everything up. And both of us were sitting in the locker room by ourselves uh, waiting for the outcome. We, we, were, we were sat in there and, and basically uh, somebody came in and said, well, we don't know who's won yet. And, and I said, well, I think maybe y'all should just leave us alone until, one of our, until you come back and tell us with a real answer and uh, you know we had beer in the locker room for after we were riding and I, I remember i went over and i poured two beers and i reached over and i handed louie a beer and i said you know you're a hell of a competitor and it's an honor to compete against you you know and we'll see where this thing shakes out and about 10 minutes later they came back and they said dave you won and like you said by a little over 600 bucks so uh, it's a fine margin of error and you know, there was not a greater competitor than Louis Field. And to me, uh, I make the joke, or and I feel this way in a certain way, is, is uh, you know, we lost him several years ago. Uh, I don't necessarily think I beat him. I think I was just in front when the counting stopped. That might be the best way to say it. Because yeah. uh, he was a hell of a competitor.
0: If you think about it, the next night, you, you could have got, I mean, if there was an extra round or, I mean, there's so many little things. $644 is not a lot.
1: Um, Not at all, I mean, there are so many stories uh in fact, uh, a couple of the uh, committee members that uh are on the uh, Spanish fork rodeo even talked about you know once that Louis was at, and Louis loved to hunt. Let me tell you, Louis Field was a great outdoorsman hunter, and I believe they said that he was supposed to go to maybe I think back to San, uh, the cow Palace back then. And he was having too much fun elk hunting and he didn't go back. I, You know, Steve, you could sit here and say, did you, did you miss a horse out at a rodeo that you were yeah. going to win? I mean, on and on and on. And But that's rodeo. I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, and there it is. I want to
0: ask you about when you first got to the States in 1980, you competed in Australia. You are, the, the story is, has been told over and over again. You probably, if if, when you were a kid really wanted to be a jockey, that didn't work out. Um, And so now here you are riding bareback horses, riding saddle bronc rider horses, competing in Australia, I think riding bulls. Am I right, Dave?
1: I rode bulls as well down in Australia. Yes.
0: Yeah. um, So all three events made more money on weekends than you did working on the cattle station during the week. And then you this got this is to, true. Yeah. Then you got to the States and you got to Western Texas College, which today I think of Greg Rhodes' program at Western Texas College as having kind of a consistent pipeline for Australians. Was it like that back then? Did you start that? What's the
1: Yes, I was the pioneer of that whole program. And, you know, it was Bob Doty's program back then. And Bob Doty, I owe a tremendous amount of respect to. In fact, to really give it perspective, to put it all how it all came together. I was living in Bedford, Texas with a guy named John Paxton, myself and two other Aussies. And we were sitting around one time. The two other Aussies were uh, Ted Cipher and Bruce Watkins. Ted was a bull rider. Bruce was a bronc rider. And we were all, and John had invited us into his home. We're sitting around one day and and the conversation went as simply as this, you ever thought about going to college? And I, both, all three of us said, no. And John goes, well, you know, you can college rodeo and there's lots of girls. And I said, well, sounds like this is really getting interesting. (laughs) And and really, truly, it it was as simple as that. And uh, I was the youngest. Um, At the time I came over here when I was 20 so you know, this is basically you know, I was 20 years old and I was still younger. Bruce and and uh, Ted were a little bit older. They really weren't that interested. I got interested. Uh, John Paxton got on the phone and we talked to a bunch of people, uh, Saul Ross and a bunch of other rodeo coaches and and the only one that really sort of took a half interest was Bob Doty and. uh Bob Doty, basically, I went out, we flew out uh John had just gotten his commercial pilot's license and uh took my life into my hands, and we <laughs> flew out in in a puddle jumper the snyder and uh we met him and and uh, they didn't really have any money for me to uh for a scholarship or anything like that and uh, uh I met the welding coach, a guy named Sam Walker, and Sam said to me, "I'll give you five hundred bucks um Heck, that was enough for me to get going. And away I went and uh, they, Bob took a chance. I, I had started to do pretty good uh, in, the, in the PRCA rodeos and he took a chance and away I went to Snyder and, and uh, enrolled. Uh, it took all of my money that I had left. I only came with $5,000. Uh, I had about 24, 2,500 bucks left and uh, took all of my money to uh, pay my tuition. Yeah. Uh, it was me uh, by myself. My mother is, uh, you know, was was still alive at the time, and but I'd lost my dad when I was seven. And as um, soon as I got through enrolling in college and everything else, they said, "Now we're going to apply for you to get this money back, but you, you need to pay this uh, now." So away I went, and I said to him, "I needed a job." And uh, Bob Doty called around, and, and in 1980, actually, the oil business in Snyder was an oil town ranching town. And, um, you know, oil business was in the dumpers and called around, asked around. There was only one man that said he'd give me a shot at a job. It was a guy named Jess Everett. And uh, that's his painting right behind me that uh, he painted. Yeah. And funny story. Uh, It was the first day of enrolling in college. Uh, I'd already enrolled. I'd paid my money. And I told Bob I needed the job. And Jess said, "Well, we'll give him a chance. I had showed up. And to be the first one at college and cool, I wanted to look cool. I was wearing a pair of flip-flops, a pair of cut-off Wranglers, a Hawaiian shirt, no hat. And I had a mop of hair this big. Wow. And, and uh, Jess Everett says, "We'll bring that boy out here. We'll take a look at him. So picture that in your mind. and wow. jump in uh, Bob's pickup and we drive out to Jess Everett's place, which is about Where's- three and a half, four miles.
0: There's a smart aleck in me that wants to ask you what part of that looked cool, but I'm not going to go, go there. At the well,
1: point. It, it, gets, it gets better. So, so we drive out there. And on the way out there, Bob Doty looks over at me and he says, now, Dave, he said, I'm going to tell you, Jess Everett is a very tough, hard man. You don't, don't want to lie to him. You want to tell him the truth and everything else. There's another whole sidebar story that we won't even get into there of an experience that Jess and Bob had had. And uh, so we get out there. We pull up. Jess Everett is standing in a round pen. He's got a little paint colt going around the round pen. And uh, he's the the epitome of a West Texas rancher. Pair of dark horn-rimmed glasses, hat rolled up, dirty, dusky. has a big old chew in his mouth. And here I am standing with Bob in my flip-flops and my cutoff of my Hawaiian uh, shirt. Every time that horse would go past the two of us, he'd stop and he'd just pause and look at me. Then he'd go back to watching the horse. Finally, He stops. He comes walking over and he says to uh, Bob Doty, you know, howdy, Bob. And Bob goes, uh, Mr. Everett, this is that Australian boy, Dave, that I was telling you about that needs a job. And he looks over at me and he introduces himself. I shake his hand. And he said, uh, you from, yes, from Australia. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, I am. And he said, uh, you know much about cattle? Oh, yes, sir. I know all about cattle. Right. And I said, grew up working cattle on cattle stations before I came over here. He said, you know how to break a horse. Yes, sir, I know how to break a horse. I've broken horses, got them going. I know how to shoe a horse. Goes through this. He says, do you know how to fix a fence? Oh, yes, sir, I know how to fix a fence. Do the whole nine yards. He gets down to the final thing, and he looks at me, and he says, do you call yourself a cowboy? And I said, oh, yes, sir, I call myself a cowboy. And he shook his head, and he said, well, you sure as hell don't look like one. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> <funny. laughs> I went to work for that man. He and his wife took me in. I'd go to welding classes from 7 30 until noon. I worked for Jess. Uh, Jess uh, took me in. He and his wife were like family to me. He was a painter. We lost him uh, the nine years in, in April of this year ago. Jean's still alive. She's 95 years old. And they, wow. that, they were a special part, but that's off the topic. But yes, Bob Doty, I was the, the pioneer of the Aussies to go to Snyder. Tony Heckscher came after to me. There was a whole litany of them. And then when uh, Bob left it went to Tarleton, Greg came in as the rodeo coach. There's been a pipeline of great ones come along since, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've seen them left and right uh, qualifying for the finals since. So uh, I, I'm very honored to be the instigator, I guess. And I fell into it. I mean, you know, Steve, damn near anything I've done in my life has been something that just, I've fallen into. I can't sit here and say to you, as you said at the top, if if God hadn't let me be small, I'd have been a jockey. Right. Here I am in the United States. You know, I've been here since 1980. And my my my, my mind's really nothing more than a, I, I have been on walkabout with God and here's where he's led me.
0: You told me maybe even the day of the hall of fame inductions, I forget, or maybe we've had this conversation a couple of times today. Um, you've you've told me a lot of times that you know it it just sort of always seemed like when there was something that you needed to be able to take the next step that thing landed in in your life um you know the story you just told for example there was always you know when there was a problem you were always able to find a solution somebody was there to help you find the solution i think i'm right in saying that aren't i
1: oh 100% 100% um and I think that's the greatest thing about rodeo. And, and really when you look at it in life, um, you know, for example, like you talked about, um, after I got out of school at Snyder, the first year in 82, I was trying to make the finals and, you know, I was, I, I had Cody Lambert and I had rodeo together in college. Cody went to Saul Ross. Uh, I entered us and, Cody made the finals going to uh, 1921 rodeos that year, made the finals in the Bronc ride. And then he started rodeoing with Hooter Brown the next year. I was kind of by myself and uh, I ended up midway through the year. I was just outside the top 15. I ended up living down in, in uh, Stephenville and by chance, um, got to know TJ Walter very well. It was TJ, Jack, Chick Helms. There was a whole group of people that rodeoed out of there and, and honestly, TJ and I didn't know each other that well, but we befriended each other. We started living together, and basically, TJ said, "Let me show you how to make the finals, Dave." He said, "I'm on the back end of my career. Um, I'm not interested in trying to make the finals, but I can show you how to get there." And that was huge. I mean, I'm a t- I'm a 21 year old, you know, uh, just a dumb kid, 22 years old, um, trying to make the finals. You don't know how to go, and you're not really sure how to do it. And it took that experienced person to show me the way. And I can go on and on and on throughout my entire life. That, And, and I put it back to this, Steve. Um, God always seems to put people in your life at the right time. And if you read the Bible, and I'm not the world's greatest about reading the Bible, but uh, it all happens when it's supposed to happen. And for whatever reason, um, you know, there are paths that aren't clear. There are paths that have darkness. There are paths that have challenges, but but God always puts those paths in front of you. And if you believe and you follow, it'll happen.
0: Dave, I found a, I was, I was doing some, some homework for this. And I found an article that was written in 2007 by a publication called The Age. I think it's an Australian publication.
1: It is. yes.
0: Um And it it goes like this. I just want to read the first paragraph or two. It's been an amazing ride for Dave Appleton, the Queensland kid who wanted to be a jockey but became a world champion cowboy almost 20 years after his history-making triumph in 1988. Again, this was written in 2007. He was the first non-American world champion. Appleton talks with a U.S. accent and is still a winner as an executive at that time with Dallas Market Center, the world's largest wholesale merchandise uh, outlet, for the past ten years, he's also been the face of Lone Star Park, a racing complex. Appleton has lived the American dream. He's acted in Dallas, launched a line of Western clothing, and married a former Miss Texas contestant with whom he is bringing up a daughter. Um, even did a commercial for Swan Lager in Australia. Been inducted in the Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame and the Tex, and obviously the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. There's a lot of stuff in there that you were able to make happen <laughs> in your life. Um, I, I'd forgotten about the
1: Dallas thing being in. in- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I had, I, after I had finished rodeoing, I was doing a lot of stuff. I was around a bunch of guys that a lot of the football players and they all had a, actually had an agent and the Kim Dawson agency was a very big agency at the time in Dallas Fort Worth. And uh, I had gotten on with them I was trying to do, you know, Steve, I was a guy that was always trying to do something different. Um, You know, even going back to trying to, I had, to me, I I really didn't try to put parameters on what you could and you couldn't do. It was always one of those. I've always been one of those guys. Well, hmm, I can do that. Yeah. Um, And so somebody had said something about getting an agent doing and, and I'd, I'd, I'd gotten to doing some commercials and, and uh, you know, got into that. And then one day that when Dallas was going on, they cast a scene uh, in a bar, of all things, and they wanted a bunch of cowboys in a bar uh, playing playing pool. And it was a game where we were playing pool against Patrick Duffy, uh, you know, the lead in there, and he had a girlfriend in there or whatnot. and. And I ended up being the guy that playing pool with him. So can you imagine that? Gee, I've never been in a bar. I've never been a cowboy, and I've never played pool in a bar drinking a beer. Hmm. Boy, that was a tough acting role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That sounds
0: fairly natural to, to a lot of us. Dave, did you start riding bareback horses and saddle bronc horses later in your life than a lot of the guys you were competing against? Uh.
1: You know. I we didn't have junior rodeo. I, I my first encounter with rodeo uh, was when I was six years old. Uh, and that was at my hometown rodeo in Clermont. And basically it was one of those deals is what they they called it the potty calf riding. And what the potty calf riding is, is basically you, a uh, bunch of kids, they'll stick around run some, you know, small calves in the chutes, And then we didn't have ropes. They just used a flank rope. We didn't have gloves. They would wrap a a, a handkerchief around your hands. And they'd pull your hands down, two hands down, and heck, I didn't even have boots, spurs, or anything. The first one I ever got on, I was in shorts and a pair of flip flops. You know, kind of a common theme. And uh, you know, I rode, I rode the car further than everybody else. Um, and about uh, six or eight seconds into this, uh, into this ride. Of course, you know, my head, my head hits the back of the calf's head. I end up with a bloody nose and they said, well, you rode further than everybody else. So I got the blue ribbon and 25 bucks and away I went. Wow. Um, First bareback horse, my mother actually would not let me ride bucking horses um, at first. Um, She did not want me. She let me ride bulls. uh, But she said she was more concerned about the bucking horses. The first time I ever got
0: that answer and go,
1: really? yeah yeah really. I know, but uh, that was the way she was. um the first bucking horse I ever got on at a rodeo uh bareback horse was actually Clemont again, and um for whatever reason, uh again, borrowed equipment, the equipment we used was horrendous, but uh as it turned out, basically everybody else bucked off, and I stayed on I rode mine, and I won again, so yeah. I guess it was, uh, I don't know if I'd have bucked off, if I'd have been a bareback rider, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it was one of those things I was pretty, I, I could ride pretty well naturally, um, when they bucked and it just sort of evolved from there. I bought some real rodeo equipment. Uh, Bob Berg had been to the United States and Bob came back and started a rodeo company. I bought a bareback rigging, shaps, saddles, the whole nine yards. My first saddle was a severe saddle, uh, Steve, I think back in those days, we were so naive. We, we so did not know anything, but we got, we did it for the fun. We'd work during the week and we'd go to rodeos on the weekend to drive back home and never, ever, ever. When I first started, did I ever think about quitting the job? Um, and I actually got conned into quitting my, my regular job by a guy named Les Bell, who was a good cowboy in Australia because he needed to ride to a uh, rodeo and he convinced me to quit. And, <laughs> which is another funny story. Um, My mother, so imagine this, I'm 17 years old now. I've got my own car. It was a little old broke down white Holden, like an El Camino. And I came home and I said, mom, I've decided I'm going to quit my job and go rodeo. The First words out of her mouth were like, bloody hell you are. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, no, mama, you know, I said, I'm pretty good at this. I'm, I'm, I'm making more money on the weekends. I'm, you know, and I was winning back then. This is, you know, 1974. I was winning anywhere from three to six hundred dollars on a weekend. And I was making about one hundred and fifty a month working on a cattle station. And uh, <clears throat> she looked at me and, she, and I said, look, and she said, well, I tell you what. She said, I've been thinking. She said, if you'll get a big Esky, like an icebox. And he said, you'll put it in the back of that ute. And if you fill it half full of water and you throw some soap suds in there, you throw your clothes in there when you're driving down the road, you'll be able to wash your clothes as you're driving down the road. And so she uh, that was her way of telling me that I could go. She also said, now, if you ever get broke, you'll have to come home. So I said, yeah, I made a deal. So I ran out of money, Steve, but I never got broke. So uh, I never did go back home. But, yeah, you know, you think back of those things like that. That's sort of how it all started.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, you think back to rodeoing in the nineteen and and I want to talk to you about some things that you're involved with today, Dave. But you had a chance to rodeo with – we talked about Louis Field. But the guys you competed with and against, there were some genuine legends in that bunch that you competed with and against.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh I mean – <laughs> well, you, you know, oh, Brad Jemison. Gee, he—I mean, he—he he won four world champions. Clint Johnson, he won a few world championships. Yeah. But traveling partner Bud Monroe, he won multiple world championships. Marvin Garrett won multiple championships. Wayne Herman won multiple championships. Louis Field won multiple all-around championships. You can just go on and on and on about the whole process, Steve. And and uh, you know, I, I, here's the thing. I think every group in every era, always had that many great Cowboys. But here's the best thing I think about it. I love the fact that I got to compete against the level of those guys because it was very, very simple. If you were going to beat them, you had to excel at what you did. And there's not a greater inspiration than to be able to walk around with guys that are that talented and you know that you've got to do everything it is to be able to beat them. And they, they only make you better. And I I couldn't be thankful enough for that.
0: Somewhere in there, you were competing with a fellow named Butch Knowles who won the average at the NFR in 1984. Uh, I did. Yeah. You got to be the MC of the hall of fame this year and put him in the hall of fame.
1: Yeah. You know, that was uh you know, there was a weird, that's a weird thing. I I mean, I, I remember (laughs) When Kent <laughs> came up and asked me if I was interested in emceeing uh, the Hall of Fame, I, 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 I laughed and I said to him, I said, well, gee, Kent, I said, I think there's probably 6,000 rodeo announcers that would, would love to do that. It's yeah. such an honor. It really is, you know, and, and just like you talked at the top, you know, I'll, I'll, I forever will remember you being the MC the year I got inducted into the Hall of Fame because it's that special a moment. And it is such an honor. And I think I, I speak for you as well. When you get to do MC an event, that's really the, the pinnacle event of rodeo. It, it's so cool. So yeah. So when Kent said, no, no, he said, uh, he said, you've done a lot of announcing. He said, you know, he said, we, we like what you do and, and we'd love to, to to do it. And, you know, it what an honor tickled uh, just on, beyond belief uh, truly to not only have been inducted, but then to stand up there and and to be able to, to do the event and, and, and it was funny, you know, everybody that got inducted and, and, and I was this is a weird one in a weird way. And I was telling the guys and, and some of them were talking to me. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, whatever you do when you get up there, try to have two or three notes. Because I said, when you stand on that stage and you are being inducted and you are giving that speech, I said, it's going to hit you that oh my god this is the most special moment that my rodeo life can have and i said when you have that moment i said you're going to get lost and i said just have a note that you can go back to that you can pick it up because i said if you don't you will lose it you'll ramble and you'll think look back at yourself and say god i was such an idiot and it was so fun of all the people that everyone talked to, everybody after it was coming back and said, Oh, God, thank God you told me that because it is it, it means that much. And when you're standing there and it hits you, holy crap, I'm being inducted into the Hall of Fame. It just, that alone to me is, a, and, and what an honor for me to be able to host it.
0: Dave, I've announced rodeos in front of crowds with eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 people in them. You know, when yeah. the most scared I've ever been in my life in front of a microphone was in front of, I don't know, five, six hundred people, whatever the crowd was at the Hall of Fame inductions in 2016. Um, it was it was really an amazing moment. Um, so and I know your your phone's blowing up and you got to get to work. But let me ask. you. No, no, you know. you're
1: good. You're good. That, uh, that we're good. We're good. So. Um, tell me if I'm missing
0: an Australian in here someplace. Dave Appleton, Glenn O'Neill, now Kai Hamilton. World champions in the PRCA. Um, yeah. How, was it kind of fun to have a sit, chance to sit there and watch what Kai did this year?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, hey, it it, it was fun because it was two Aussies there this year. You know, of course, Kai rode like Superman. Right. I mean, for what Kai went through this year and what he did, uh, you know, I thought this past year's NFR was probably as good as you could ever have. And I say that in the sense of this. You have the story of Rodeo, Stetson Wright, get injured, go out. So, And and, and Stetson's one of these kids that he's so dang good that everyone's going to stay and watch to see just what he might do. So you have Rodeo's biggest star go out early in the Rodeo. But it was as if Stetson gave Kai his Superman cape, and Kai puts it on. And then he cut. he gets wiped out. Uh, wow. He acts like Superman. He goes to the hospital. He comes back the next day. He gets on, ride, rides his reride, then comes back the next night. He's the only one to make the whistle. I mean, and you just had so many great moments and, and, the whole industry—you could just feel everybody getting behind Kai to do—and look what he did. He was—he rode everything. What did he rode His first six bulls, I think, before he or five or six before he bucked off. It was just such a neat deal. And I was texting him back and forth, and and it was just yes, so honored, so proud, and and and, and really, I mean, the best part about it is—is is, is Steve. I'm honored for him, and I would hope that there are many young Aussies. And not just Aussies, kids from anywhere in the world. If if you really desire to have a go and, and give yourself a chance, this is the greatest place in the world to do it. Because like we talked about, look at how many people have helped me. Look at how many people have helped, you know, Kai. Cody Lambert, strangely enough, Cody Lambert that he and I rodeo together. Cody has been to this day one of the greatest stopping point, teaching points for all of these kids that have come along. Everyone. I mean, Kai Hamilton is the one. Uh, Kai's parents reached out to Cody. Cody took Kai in and got him started. You know, there's so much behind it that there's so many people that will help these kids if you will stay committed. That's the key.
0: You know, it, it's easier, I I would imagine, for an Australian to come to the States because you don't have the language barrier. I've always really admired people who have the the courage to pick up their life move to someplace else I always think of the Brazilian bull riders I know the PBR does a really good job of kind of helping those guys transition and and you know learn English if they need to and those kinds of things but that all by itself and I don't care if it's 1979 1980 or 2024 that transition's got to take a little it's got to be scary
1: to do that Well, I I think the best part about it is, is where youth and ignorance comes into play. I mean, (coughs) seriously, I, I mean, you're, you're young, you're chasing a dream. The dang bull, if you're a bull rider coming from Brazil, he has no clue whether you speak Ethiopian, Russian, or whatever. If you can do the job, you can do the job. The rest will take care of it themselves. And, you know, look, the pioneer for the Brazilians was Adriano Morai. And Adriano came over here. And I remember, Steve, I remember giving Adriano a ride home from the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo. He and his wife had gotten here. They were broke. He was chasing a dream. He didn't hardly speak any English at all. Hell, I had to bring him home. I was trying to imagine this, an Australian trying to guide a Brazilian around America. How screwed up can this be? But how great can this be? I mean, I bought bought him his first Whataburger in San Marcos, Texas. (laughs) Wow. I mean, but that's what you did. No one cared. If you were legit, nobody cared. And, And yeah, you know, and he paved the way. And, oh, my God, did he pave the way. I oh, mean, yeah. look at him. Uh, but, but it's life changing. And, and that's why you see him ride so, so hard. Uh, you know, some of these kids in Brazil, we don't know what poverty is compared to what they did. And I'm even talking about from the likes from Australia. These kids come because they're hungry and this can change their life. And look at how many it has.
0: Adriano and I did a performance of the professional bull riders World Finals together. He came up and helped me on rural radio when I was still with World Media Group one year and this was a few years ago now and I asked him about that and he said there are 5,000 bull riders that you have never heard of in Brazil that if they could just figure out a way to get out of their difficult living situations they could come to the states and they could be great I um, mean he Absolutely. said. There are, there, but, but they, it's like you said, they live in some difficult circumstances and, yep, and, yep. um, and Adriano has been a leader in helping to transition those guys who come to the States from Brazil and being able to, um, being able to adopt, to adapt to America. And, uh, God bless him for that. In addition to being one of the greatest of all time.
1: Absolutely. And I think, but he's also handed it down. I mean, I don't know that many of all of the Brazilian kids that well, but I do think now that there's such a foundation of them here that I do think they all give back. And and that's the same as what, you know, like the Tony Hections of the world that came along behind after me. I mean, you know, you, you want to help these young kids that come along. And, and, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm here to help you if I can, uh, yeah. you know. And that's what you need to rodeo is, you know, I didn't get where I was because I did it by myself. I, I got to where I am. Yeah, I had to give it all myself, but I was given so much support around me. And I think nobody has uh, achieved success without the help of somebody. And that's one of the key things that you got to do is always give back no matter to who.
0: Last question, Dave. You still love horse racing today. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, horse racing was my first love. There was something that the, rom- the romance of the thoroughbred, the racehorse, was always uh, and has always been a passion. There, There's, um, you know, it, it just, I grew up as a kid around it. It was for whatever reason uh, I, was, uh, I was drawn to it. You know, I, I, it was my first love. My early dreams in life were were, were you know, thinking about being a jockey riding a race i got to ride a couple of races in a small bush track with you know no real great success but um yeah you know my my first pony was a pony called mozzie at seven years old i'd ride him out to the racetrack and they'd have the uh the starting gates the barrier stalls set up uh at the half mile pole for people to breeze horses from and and we'd ride up into those starting gates and I'd hawk the, 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 the stirrups up on my saddle and we'd bust out of the gates and we'd run about a hundred yards and poor Mozzie had run out of gas. I'd have to give him a blow. And then we'd trot to the top of the lane and we'd ride high down the lane. And yeah, you know, that was, yeah, that was it. And uh, been lucky enough, but, you know, it all goes back to the horse. I mean, when I stop and you reflect back on your life. What was something that made your life, and it's been the horse. Whether it's horse racing, whether it's bucking horses, or whatever it is. Uh, I mean, this there's nothing greater than than, than a great racehorse or a great bucking horse. I mean, I think of the great Kingsway that that yeah. carried me to victory. Um, you know, there was a horse that was born in the plains of far north Saskatchewan. Uh, Vern Franklin owned wild, wild. That horse never ever was tamed. He he just had to survive with us fo- fools around him. But if his skin could have stretched, he would buck in sixty directions at the same mm-hmm. time.
0: Wow. Was there was there one that you always wanted to get on? I mean, if was there one horse in your career? Was there one or two that, because um, you rode both Bears and Bronx? That <coughs> if if you had to hand pick one to win a world title and beat Louis Field by six hundred and forty four dollars, that was the one you would pick, or or. I, I, there were several great ones, obviously. There still are, but there were several great ones going at the time.
1: Well, you, you, you talked about the moment of the one that you needed, um, and it was Kingsway. And that he was the one. He was the only one. Um, I was actually the bareback riding director um, at the time. And when we set the pens for the tenth go-round, I remember you now putting the pens together and and then you hand it over to the judges and everything else. And someone said to me, Well, you know, what would you like to pick out of the pen? Because you know, you had a little bit of everything. And I mean, Kingsway was the bucking horse of the year at the time. Uh, you know, he was a special animal. He was not the smoothest um, and to me, I, it was unequivocally to me that someone said, what do you want? And I said, there's only one horse that I need. I didn't want, I needed him and I did want him bad. And I said, when it comes down for a chance to, to win something, you don't want to leave chance to it. Well, if I'd had a different animal. And to me, if I drew Kingsway, then it would all be in my hands. And uh, it was at that pivotal moment. And guys, I drew him, you know, and and honestly, Steve, I rode that horse a hundred times uh, in in my my sleep that night. I laid in bed. I never was more calm about the moment, Um, you know, and I remember when I got on him, um, basically when I got on him uh, right before I nodded my head, I put my hand down on his neck and, and I, and I told him, I said, I need you to be as good as you can be today mm-hmm. and nodded my head. And he was, and then the outcome, it wasn't the world's greatest bareback ride, but it was good enough to win the round and then that went on the average. And like you said, $644 later, I'm a world champion.
0: Wow. Uh, Dave Appleton with us. Dave, I, I told you last question, two questions ago, before I let you go, Uh, folks who are either going to the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo this weekend or who are watching it on the Cowboy Channel, you and and our dear friend Pam Minnick um, always have a chance to be a part of that rodeo in Fort Worth. And I know that rodeo means a lot to you.
1: It is. I was uh, lucky enough that uh, the chairman, Mr. Ed Bass, and I were good friends, and he invited me uh, to apply to become a director of the Stock Show. And I, I, I did, and I've been great to see the involvement. You know, Brad Barnes. Uh, has 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 run it for the last, you know, 20-odd years and has done a masterful job. And we've gone into a new arena, the Dickey's Arena, uh, just two years ago that was the large indoor arena, uh, rodeo of the year of the PRCA, which, you know, Mr. Bass, Mr. Barnes, the Gay family, they have done everything to do it. And Pam and I have been lucky enough to not only be on a couple of committees there, but we're lucky enough to be the interviewers of the Texas Champion shootout which showcases all the champions of the Texas rodeos. Uh, and it's a great event. Uh, it's a one night event. It comes up on Thursday night, the night, uh, the 18th. And and it's just a great, great night. And it, then the 19th, you kick off the tournament style rodeos from there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great rodeo and yeah. it's a great honor to be part of it.
0: One of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life is getting to have the opportunity through the years to get to know the, Joe Beavers and the Tuff Hiedemans and the Donnie Gays and Bob Tallmans and the Pam Minnicks and the Dave Appletons of the world. Um, And to be able to not just get to know them, but call them friends. And Dave, I I genuinely appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And uh, congratulations on all your success. And thank you for 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 telling
1: your stories this afternoon. Steve, it's always a pleasure. You know, I'm just a dumb kid from Australia that just didn't know what no was. And here I am.
0: Well, there you go and there's there's a little philosophy in that folks. Don't know what no is and uh, you might just be a success in your life. Dave, thank you for your time. Continued success. Travel safe. We'll see you soon.
1: Sounds good. Safe. Cheers.